Hey, dude, quick question. Uh, what's with the can- uh, jar of candy? I'm trapping fairies. Little guys love this stuff. I use the candy as bait. As long as that talking rabbit doesn't mess whoa, things whoa, up. Whoa, what, what, have you been drinking? Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's our look at the folk of the Feywild this week on the Dungeon Master's Dojo. Support the Dungeon Master's Dojo by heading over to Apple Podcasts and Podchaser and leave a review. Take the time to leave a comment as well. This helps make us more searchable to those listeners interested in content such as ours. But more importantly, we want to know how we are doing and what topics you would like to hear about. Another way you can support the DMD is by buying the DMD a beer, so we can continue to deliver quality content to you, our listeners. This also helps us upgrade and replace equipment. Head over to buymeacoffee.com forward slash the DMD and buy us a beer, or three, or five. Don't forget to say something nice or mean. We don't care. You're buying us a beer. Now on to this week's episode. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Dungeon Masters Dojo Podcast. This is a show for game masters and players alike. We hope to bring you tips and tricks to elevate your game and develop the art of dungeon mastery. I'm your host, Louis Aponte, and these are your Dungeon Masters, Scott Labby and Bill Robitaille. Let's head to the dojo and see what they have in store for us today. Hey Scott, hey Bill, how's it going? Good. I'm dipping in that jar and eating some of those... uh jelly beans if you don't mind yeah don't let the fairies out i figure if i give them each a little like flashlight it'll be like catching a bunch of lightning bugs in a jar have you been drinking yeah <laughs> i guess we're talking about folks at a fey wild yeah and uh i hope they do something with this because i th- i think this is this is putting the fantasy back in my fantasy game i, I think 5e kind of isn't that fantastical I'm not getting that vibe anyway. Well, I mean, this is UA we're talking about straight out of the gates. Um, just so you know, uh, this is not material. This is like beta testing. Um, it's not like a published thing. So just in case you're wondering and starting to look, where where do I find this stuff? But, yeah, I agree with you. It's about time we put some some hardcore fantasy back into the into the fantasy realm that we're playing in. Right. I mean, it is after all a fantasy game right i mean it would make sense to yeah i I always interpreted that as such i now there's parts of this i like and of course parts of this i don't because there's always something i don't yeah i i like most of you know you get you get four new race options for um for characters in D D. You get the fairy, the hobgoblin of the Feywild, owl folk, and rabbit folk, which, I mean, th- those last two are definitely going to appeal to the furries um, <laughs> in, in the crowd. Yes. And yes. Um, you know what? It's it's going to – I'm pretty optimistic that we will finally get an answer to that age-old question of how many licks does it take to get to the center <laughs> of a Tootsie Pop. <laughs> Just ask the owl folk. Just ask the owl folk. They know. Um, That and then you have your rabbit folk, which is just all I can think is watership down. Yeah, uh, which which was 
Boy, I mean, it painted those cute little bunnies in a totally different light when that I read that one, when I read that book. Huh? Did you see the 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 animated? Yes, they, it, it was, was absolutely dark, savage. It was. It was very. I loved it. I loved it. It was so dark and gritty. Yeah, it's beautiful. I know when I talked when I read this thing about the rabbit, it reminded me of the Usagi Chronicles. Yeah, <laughs> Usagi Yojimbo, the yep. samurai bunny from. He started in TM, TMNT. Started, yeah, he started in TMNT. Yeah, it wasn't Marvel comic books. It was one of um, who was it that was doing TMNT at at the time? Um, Eastman and Laird didn't have their own publishing company, I don't think. But that I don't was think so. that was a long time. It was a long time ago, and the eighties and parts of the early nineties were Blur. a little foggy for me. For all of us, not yeah. just with age either. No, no, it was. Why are you guys looking at me? <laughs> <laughs> Well, you were like 40 in the 80s, weren't you? Yeah, thereabouts. <laughs> I already started forgetting everything by then. So with these uh with 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 these you get the um you get the ability score increases where they say you can uh, increase one score by 2 and a different score by 1 or three different scores by 1. So you have that kind of flexibility in scoring that we began to see in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you you do get, I guess there's some uh, there's a quick build option where they 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 kind of suggest maybe certain ability scores being well. A they kind of pref- the UA pr- pretty much uses the same preface. This first page yeah. that we're reading off of is the same thing for pretty much everything they put out. We've gone through this a lot of times, and we'll do so again. But just so you know, when you go through this UA stuff, this first page is kind of generic. Yeah. Uh, it'll it'll list your, your document features, the race options for, and it'll list those. But then from that point on, creating your character, your languages, your creature type, that's all the same thing we each, saw and, every, that, yeah, it, each and every time. Lineages. So just so you know, uh, your character can read and write, you know, common in one other language. Although I don't know if the language of rabbit it, what do you call that? Lupine. Yeah, I yeah. think the, the language of lupine. Lupinese. Lup- <laughs> uh, what? You call me? <laughs> and one of the key things that that We're I want to call you, buddy, from now on. <laughs> that I want to bring up too is that there is a you know then they mentioned this in the languages, um, and I think it's really important not just for languages but for everything else uh, related to your character is. Um, it was something to the nature of, uh, and another language that you and your 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 DM decide on. Um, that is appropriate for your character. That is appropriate for your character, right? Absolutely, and um, I I can't stress this enough. Give some thought to your character. I mean, that's going to be the vehicle for your gameplay for hopefully a very long time. You know, so give give some thought. It's not all about the stats. It's not all about the skills. It's about what fits thematically with your character. If you want to have a really good time playing a game like this, decide on a theme and, and, and go with it. It's not always about the numbers on the paper. It's Do you about hear the- that, optimizers, min-maxers? You hear that? Just just pointing it out. Yeah, you can have a good time without having, like, all your points dumped into one stat, you know? <laughs> Actually, I would I would I would go as far as to say... That you could have a better time. I, I'll I'll go with that. I'll go with that. I I for years have handicapped my characters. 
giving them disadvantages or some kind of quirk or something like that that doesn't cripple the character, but it's something that will come up every now and again. Whether it's yep. a, a scar or a, a, a verbal tick or an inability to do something or a phobia that isn't normal. Imperfect characters are always the most entertaining. I And, and when you say that, the, the first thing that popped into my mind was, do you remember Todd's character, Modit? Yes. Who had a wooden leg? Yes, he had a wooden and, leg. And he his movement... Uh, his movement was reduced. I think. I think he had a twenty movement. Yes. Um, and he he purposely handicapped himself, but um, that was and he didn't really have to, right? No. But that was part of his character theme, and that was probably one of the most memorable characters at that at that table. Absolutely was was, was modded. Well, that and the fact he kept popping his leg off because that he had a little cavity in there, and that's where you would store a lot of the things that he wanted to keep safe like a few gold pieces in his tinderbox and some trinkets and things like that. He would store inside his leg. So it was funny to watch him. Oh, hang on a second. I got to take my leg off. Yeah. He was a, that was a, that was one of my favorite characters that, that ever hit a gaming table. And that was, um, hardly an optimized character. Oh, by no means. No, <laughs> it, it, even to, to that, it's like, I don't ever think I played until this last character that I'm playing now. I don't think I ever took anything with a, a dump stat. At least all my scores were a minimum of, of 10 or 11. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is the first because we're doing the, the Battle of the Bards thing. And um, I gave my one of my characters. I did do a dump stat for the first time. Uh, I don't know why, but I think everybody else was doing it. So I said, I'm going to jump on the bandwagon. <laughs> bump bandwagon. Ba-dum-bump. <laughs> and um, He's clever. And and, and do it. That's the, and I'm kind of regretting it, to be honest. Um because now you have, you know, you give yourself minuses when you start playing with dumb stats. Actually, I I did not do that. I had no <clears throat> minuses. I have zeros, and you know, but I have no minuses in any of my stats. Because yeah, same thing, I I try to build a rounded character. Yes. Yeah. I because I I like playing the jack of all trades. Now, once in a while, um, I will play a character where I will use the dump stat, but only be, not necessarily because I want that stat low, it's because I want something else high. Now, that may sound obvious, but I'm playing that character in a specific way, and it's the character that seems to be able to do everything. But every time something comes up in his wheelhouse, oh, step aside, children, let me show you how to do it. And then when something's out of his wheelhouse, I'm tired of carrying you guys. It's about time you did something for yourself. Someone else, please give this a try. Do I have to do everything for you? And he's he's graciously bows out of the things that he knows he's not good at. But the impression is that this character can do everything. It's like a super character, but it's not. Right. But, you know, I'll, I'll do that on occasion. But usually I like to round them out. I'd rather be a jack-of-all-trades and have a good shot of doing everything. And that's what I do as well. But, you know, like I said, for the Battle of Bards, I decided, well, let me see what a, how playing with a dump stat is. And I'm kind of hating it because you become um, – it can hurt you. It could. Yeah. Well, it depends, like I said, it depends on the situation. Well, it's, it's, hard, it's harder to role-play those stats too sometimes. Sometimes. And I think more importantly is that this is uh, – this is Sin's first go yes. at at running a game. Thank you, Sin. So, yeah, bravo. 
um and and he's doing a good job I, i'm having a blast so far i know what was it last session we you know it was yes i know we're talking about the folk of fay wild but um playing up that bard's band group was actually pretty fun hey i'm a satyr i'm technically fay so yes, we're still talking favor. There you go. And Sin is our house elf. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. There you so, go. so there's two there, out there of three. Go. We're so, good. Except he doesn't sit on a shelf. He, well, we can't get him to stay put. That's the problem. He's <laughs> well, that's that's perfect because yeah, the, the elf on the shelf is supposed to be moving it's around. That jar, it's that jar of candy we used to catch him. We got him all <laughs> we, hype, we caught, hyper. We yep. caught a fa- we caught yep. a Sin instead. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so let's move on to the the first one. Um, we're talking about the fairy. Fairies. First, first Who doesn't up. love fairies? I mean, Tinkerbell, talk about like a fae hottie right there. Tinkerbell's a babe. And she looks great for someone who's like 80 years old now. I met her at Disneyland. She didn't look 80. No? Well, fae do have a different uh, aging. Yeah, yeah their metabolism is a little you know, different. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's all the candy. The, they, I, they age like Liz Taylor. <laughs> Timeless. Timeless. Like with, Linda Carter. With, with about 12 less husbands. Super hot. Yep. Oh yeah, go Linda. <laughs> if you're listening, I love you. Um, thank you for the cameo. Can't wait for the next. So, best part of Wonder Woman 1984 Damn was Linda Carter at the straight. end. Still got it, Linda. You still got it. Yep. Okay, back to the fairies. Yes, back to the fairies. Uh, the Feywild is a home to many fantastic peoples, including fairies. Fairies are a wee folk, but not nearly so much as their pixie or sprite friends. Uh, infused with the magic of the Feywild, fairies share a few commonalities with one another, but can differ widely in appearance, behavior, and attitude. Many fairies have a special physical characteristic that sets them apart from other creatures of their kind. Uh, for your fairy, you can roll on a chart that they listed here. There's uh, eight different options. Um, keep in mind the Feywild is a wild place, so come up with your own characteristics if none of these fit your character. And there's a few things listed here. I think it's great. I I like that that whole idea that you know the the entire species of fairy has a lot of common you know physical things about them. You know, you can tell a fairy from a pixie or a sprite, but then there's that that um that special thing, you know, oh, this one's got wings, you know, this one doesn't or right. this one's got that kind of aura of cold around them. It's just it makes it more um more, I don't know, fae-like, uh, something that you would ex- expect to find in an environment like the fae wild. Channel your inner 11-year-old girl and picture yes. a, f- a fairy and what pops to mind, there you go. It could have wings. It could not. Uh, it could dance from, you know, long legs and uh, I, don't, I don't even know where I'm going with this, but there there's so many different views of what a fairy could be and the beauty of this is you can embrace that you can you can just all right what came to mind jack frost peter pan peter pan yeah right they're fairies right do they have wings no jack frost flies peter pan flies, peter pan flies. they don't have wings um so what works for you and, yeah, there's a few suggestions here, and you can mix a couple of these in and take a little bit of each, but just envision it in your head, and that's what you build. And this is a really a good launching point for um, building a 
pixie or a sprite character as well. I mean, you, you have mm-hmm. the framework. You know, you you it takes a little homebrewing, yeah, but it, the, it's not that much of a departure from like a fairy. No. Um, and then you get a whole other world opened up to you, right? Because now you can scale down your adventures from the world of you know, uh, you know, beings from three and a half to seven feet tall to something that's under a foot tall. So you have like almost an entirely different world you can play within um, and have some really cool, fantastic adventures on like the pixie or sprite or fairy level. And, and I, and I like that, pers- that perspective you brought up it. The human world is huge to, to the, you know, to, to this particular race, your sprites, your pixies, your fairies. The human world is huge. It's oversized. It's cumbersome. And to be able to scale things down where, yeah, I'm only a foot high. But, you know, this, this three-foot-long badger is my war horse. Yeah. And what sounds more fantastic than that? I mean, realistically, it's like, yeah. come on. Uh, I'm charging on into battle with my badger. A fairy riding a badger. That's Pretty fantastic. That's pretty fantastic. I like it. I do too. I already got a class already made up, a character already made up in my mind for this one. You usually do. <laughs> fairy traits. Why don't you tell us about some fairy traits? Well, um, you're Fay, for starters. Um, uh, your size is small. You, your walking speed is thirty feet, um, which is which makes them when you look at it pretty fast, right? Because they're um, they're small. substantially <laughs> smaller, right? So those legs are, are moving pretty yeah, quick. They're, they're cooking along fast. 30 feet may not seem a lot when you think of it like, oh, uh, well, yeah, but my human fighter can move, has a movement of 30 feet. Yeah, but he's like, or she's like six feet tall, right? Yeah, th- there's a stride of six feet. So you only have to put your right leg down five times? Yeah. My brain's cramping. Maybe. Here. Yeah. Um, yeah, five times. Yeah, five times six is 30. So these guys are putting it down three times as much. Yep. Because they're literally one third the size. So they're moving fast. Yep. Um, you have a flying speed equal to your walking speed and can hover, which is pretty cool because, uh, again, it's like some of these fairies have wings. Some of these fairies are like Peter Pan, right? They don't have wings, but they're still flying. Yep. Um, very, very cool. Um, and it speaks to their inherent um magical kind of being or 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 magical lineage because their their flight is not mechanical but it's magical yes so that's that's cool uh you know druid craft and fairy fire spells and you could cast these fairy fire spells without expending a spell slot um it, you have to finish a long rest before you can cast it this way again but well, um, you could also burn some spell slots too. Yeah, yeah, and you know it, it's it's building this this magical mystique about these these little people, which which I really dig. And then with Fey Passage, you can squeeze through a space as narrow as one inch wide. You know, so I have a problem with that one. That one is I, I could like what Bill said. I have a problem with that one too because I, I can see that one being abused. All right, I'm only three feet high. I'm even if I'm a foot high, uh, one, one inch. I, I can see this. Me and Bill were talking off air. 
And um, I can see this being abused by like your rogue, roguey style Faye. Try to, you know, they can get into almost anywhere now if you think about it. You know, one inch is not really that much space. No, it's not. Um, For those I, that want to know uh, one inch, uh, look at your thumb. And from the end of your thumb to the beginning of the next knuckle on most people is one inch. I'm, I'm glad you're using the thumb as a point of reference. I started to, like, get really, really worried. I was like, oh, boy, here no, we go. No, There's that, some heavy that, editing that's that, going to have to ju- happen. That's justified. We talked on air. Off air, I mean. And um, <laughs> he knows what his boundaries are today. <laughs> no, I don't. Once, once the shock collar comes in, we'll get Bill in line real quick. Um, I, I don't mind that. I don't mind that so much because I think it, it adds, it adds kind of like, it adds a degree of fey flavor to it. No, no, I agree. I, I just, agree. I just see the, the opportunity of abuse. Oh of yeah. Yeah. Is, is a little more prevalent than some of the other abilities. I think, I, well, I also think that's how much the DM, um, presents that scenario that it could be abused. If he doesn't present it all that much, and yes, I could see that being cut down. So I, I, I could see, cause I, I, my original thought was that's going to be abused because not a lot of things were sealed that tight. Well, let's keep in mind, this is also basically a rough draft. Yes, it is. All right. You know, it, it's out of UA. It, it's not, you know, it even tells you in the beginning, this is not in print and this is not, you know, acceptable and check with your game master things. like. So yeah, game masters, you need to, that becomes situational. But that that out of this whole thing, I just have a little problem with that. But the rest of it, I freaking love well, this. Well, I have I, the one issue that I think a lot of DMs are going to have an issue with is the fairy flight. No DM likes flight. You know, right from the get go. Yeah, fairy flight. That's that's pretty big. It it is, but in a world of fairies. Well, in a world of fairies, right? But if you're playing this class and you're you know, with a normal party. And now you can fly. You just, you know, you made it a little bit harder for your DM to keep track of you. Yeah, I I see there is the flight thing doesn't bother me too, too much. Um, I mean, especially when you're talking about like a, a fairy, because right, you got your you got your fairy kind of flying around next to you, you know, with the party because they're probably trying to not get stepped on, right? So the best best course of action for travel is to fly. Despite the fact you can walk as fast as the rest of them, yes, yeah. you don't want to get stepped on. I, why? I would just sit on your shoulder. So now, what what you are is basically you're a you're a moving target for any any uh, any birds, hungry bird birds or whatever. Birds. Yeah. yeah, I would pull um, out a peregrine falcon in a heartbeat. <laughs> um, and you know, archers archers don't really care about flying things. It's it's fun to shoot them out of the air and watch them fall to their death. Um, if the arrows don't kill them, then then the sudden impact of the fall is is going to. Um, so yeah, I get it that D- DMs don't like flight, and it can be a pain in the ass, you know. And I, I I thought of how many people were going to be extremely upset when they introduced Kenku as a as a player race. Yeah, true. And and there were boy, there were some upset DMs yep. out there going, <laughs> nope, no, nope, I don't allow them. And and it's like, well, there's stuff like archers and. Um, other flying things. Yeah, there's and, ways to curtail. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, people don't like that. Yeah. But, but now we got we got like hobgoblins, right? And the the whole yeah. hobgoblin thing has they've kind of like changed up hobgoblins. You know, where they're not these samurai that we're used to seeing. <laughs> they're um and and I I kind of like that. 
about I I have to agree. I like the Klingon hobgoblins, don't get me wrong. <laughs> um but I like the I like that fantasy element they're bringing to to the hobgoblins. They're making them a fae creature, which I think is that's how they started in what European folklore. They were yes. They were just another word for fairy. So hobgoblins traced their origins to the Feywild, where they first appeared with their goblin and bugbear kin. That history that history has left its mark. For though hobgoblins are found throughout the material plane, they continue to channel an aspect of the Feywild's rule of reciprocity, which creates a mystical bond between the giver and the receiver of a gift. I like this part. On some worlds, such bonds lead hobgoblins to form communities with deep ties to each other. In the Forgotten Realms, vast hobgoblin legions have emerged with ranks upon ranks of devoted soldiers noteworthy for how effective they are fighting as a unit. Hobgoblins are generally taller than their goblin cousins, but not quite as big as bugbears. They have a curved, pointed-eared noses, and they have noses that turn red or blue during displays of emotion. That I, I just I I think that flavors the 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 species a great deal because you know when you're dealing with a a hobgoblin in your party um that's one of those things that you know the other the other pcs are going to get to kind of know it's like oh like the nose changes it's like their mood ring i was gonna say his face is a mood ring (laughs) and uh it's it's a neat like kind of cultural thing right so your hobgoblin PC, um, throughout the course of their adventures through the Feywild, right, they go home, they see their family or their wife or their loved ones, you know, and and then there's this noticeable color change, not only to their nose, but to the noses of, you know, their loved ones, members of their community, that sort of thing. It just dawned on me that some of our listeners might not know what a mood ring is. Yeah, probably not. I just, you're mentioning, and I was like, um, okay, mood ring is a small little stone that was in a ring, and it reacted to the temperature in your body. And supposedly, the more excited you got, the warmer you got, the brighter and different color the ring would turn. So it would tell you what mood you were in. Now, how effective these things were was... Mm, questionable. Questionable, yeah. yeah. But they did change color, and it was based on how... How warm you were. And, of course, the ambient temperature in the air helped uh, change things as well. But, yeah. It, it was it was the thing. It was a thing. Back in the day. It was... Uh, it was... It was definitely a thing. It right? was groovy, man. It, it was it far was mood, out. mood rings and pet rocks. Yeah. But, yeah. So, for those of you, um, which is a sizable chunk of our demographic, <laughs> under the age of 35, you may not know what a mood ring is. So, there you go. There it is. Go out and buy one. Sorry to interrupt, but I just thought I'd bring that up. <laughs> so you're a humanoid, right? Yes. Um, it's medium-sized. Walking speed is 30 feet. Uh, you get that dark vision. You can see in dim light within 60 feet of you as if it were bright light, and in darkness as if it were dim light. Um, and the colors in the darkness are shades of gray. So it's like it's like watching... Uh, old episodes of I Love Lucy. <laughs> right. Uh, you yes. get you get advantage on saving throws you make to avoid or end the charmed condition on yourself, much like elves. Um, 
and the Fey Gift, you can use this trait to uh, take the help action as a bonus action. There's that res- reciprocity, right, amongst the hobgoblins there. Um, and you can do so a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus, and you regain all expended uses when you finish a long rest. At third level, you can choose one of the options which they list below each time you take the help action, right? You get hospitality passage or spite. And this, I think, is when you look at that, I mean, it really ramps up the, I don't know, the fairy, the fae kind of vibe well, that I mean, this the, all the fae, everyone's like, oh, they're all happy-go-lucky and flit about. No, you yes, don't want to no, piss these people no, off. No, 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 no. You do not want to piss them off. <laughs> Read some old European folklore. Oh, yeah. yeah. The Fae were, Fae were serious things. People, like, were really concerned about these creatures. And um, If you had a sprite or a fairy or a hobgoblin in your garden, you left sacrifices to them. Or not sacrifices. You left gifts out there for them. Tribute. So, tribute. So they would take the tribute as opposed to wreaking havoc with your crops or moving things around or hiding tools. Uh, they be they were they're mischief incarnate. And you did what you could to keep that on their good side. Because the bad side was bad. Yes. <laughs> That's where the spite comes in. So let's talk about some of these because they're I think they're really cool. And they do lend to that old European folklore kind of thing. They do. We'll start off with hospitality. Uh, you and a target of your help action, each gain a number of temporary hit points equal to 1d6 plus your proficiency bonus. Not bad. Not bad. Passage, so you and a target of, of your help action, each increase your walking speeds by 10 feet until the start of your next turn. That That's, well, it's one way to get the hell out of Dodge. Yeah. Uh, you know, or to get someone who's very injured out of there quickly. So that helps. Then you have spite until the start of your next turn. The first time you or the target of your help action hits a creature with an attack roll, the creature has disadvantage on the next attack roll that it makes within the next minute. That's that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. And then finally, fortune of the many. If you miss with an attack roll or fail an ability check or saving throw, you can draw on your bonds of reciprocity to gain a bonus to the roll equal to the number of allies you can see within 30 feet of you. Maximum bonus of plus five. You can use this trade a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus, and you regain all expended uses when you finish a long rest. So a maximum of plus five, right? So if you have, like, your whole party there, you know, the average party is probably about five, maybe six, right? Yep. Uh, plus five is, that ain't bad. That's actually a good number. Yeah. <laughs> That's 20%. that's that's a real good number yeah so that's our hobgoblin let's move on who we gonna talk about next the owl folk fan service for the furries (laughs) (laughs) distant kin of giant owls the owl folk come in many shapes and sizes from petite to fluffy to wide-winged and majestic Owl folk have arms and legs like other humanoids, as well as wings that extend from their backs and shoulders. Because of their ancestral ties to the Feywild, owl folk can innately see their magic. Because of the ancestral tie of the Fey folk, owl folk can innately see the magic of their surroundings. Like owls, owl folk are graced with feathers that make no sound when they move 
or fly, making it easy for them to sneak up on you in the library. Your alpha characters might be nocturnal, or perhaps your par- character is simply prone to rise late, uh, embodying the common nickname of Night Owl. Pretty I, neat. I, I think it's it's cool. I, this is, uh, I'm I'm on the fence with this one. I am too. I mean, I do like that you can choose medium or small. But there's a couple of things I have, and me and Bill talked off air again because Scott wasn't here yet. <laughs> he about, was running late. Yes, he was. But no, we, we talked about this one too, but we'll talk about that when we get to it. So you're humanoid. You can choose medium or small, which which I kind of like. Um, walking speed is 30 feet. You get dark vision. You can see in dim light within 90 feet as if you were in bright light and in darkness as if you were in dim light. Again, it's... Um, in I Love Lucy mode, it's in different shades of gray. Uh, you have magic sight. Keen senses can focus to see the presence of magic. You gain the ability to cast the detect magic spell, but only as a ritual. Um, your spell casting ability for this spell is your choice of intelligence, wisdom, or charisma. I think if you're going to be owl folk, you should probably have a high wisdom, wisdom. score just because. Yeah. I think that's all dependent on the class you're playing too. It should be, but old grognards like I, yeah. like no, I'm gonna owl, go for owl, wisdom. Yeah, all wisdom. Yeah, yeah, yep. just kind of nostalgia, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, you know that 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 old kind of you know myth of owls being wise creatures, right? It's got to come from somewhere. Yeah, it comes from the owl folk. There you go. They started it all. Yes, they did. Wise creatures, the owl folk are. Um, you can also cast this spell normally with any spell slots you might have. Um, and then you get nimble flight. So uh, because of your wings, you have a flying speed equal to your walking speed. When you fall, you can use your reaction to make a dexterity saving throw, DC 10, to stop falling and fly in place until the start of your next turn. And you have proficiency in stealth skills because you have silent feathers now what don't you like about this the flying part the flying <laughs> everybody's hating on the flying well i don't think it's hating on the flying it, it just it makes everything more difficult not a dm has multiple things to take care of especially if he wasn't prepared for this but as previously mentioned we are dealing with fey folk all fey folk, or just about all fey folk fly so if the DM's not ready for your Fey Folk to fly, now like you said earlier, if you drop a Fey Folk into a normal party of human and humanoids, that might be problematic. But again, that's that's when your session zero <clears throat> excuse me. That's when your session zero you you turn around and say, Hey, this is what I want to play, and your game master goes, Nah, that's not gonna fit. If only we had a, a an episode on session zeros. If only we did. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that's something we should possibly do. Like last week. Yeah, and, and mentioned it like a hundred times before. Last that. two weeks ago. I don't know. By the time this yes. comes out, it could be a while. But go listen to uh, DM Scott's DM Quick Tip on Session Zero. My God, he's brilliant. It's awesome. <laughs> it's awesome. I've got an answer to all your questions, Lou, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold my answer until we're all done with this review of Folk of the Feywild. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll wait for the answers. So let's move on to the rabbit folk. My favorite. Although clunky, but my favorite. Bounding across the wilds, rabbit folk 
from the Feywild embody the spirit of freedom and travel. Rabbit folk are bipedal with the characteristic long feet of an animal. They resemble and, and fur in a variety of colors. They share a keen sense of powerful legs of the lupine. Luperine? Luporine? I'm going to say lupine. Um, powerful legs of lupine creatures and are full of energy, like a wound-up spring. Rabbit folk are blessed with the little fey luck, and they often find themselves a few fortunate feet away from dangers, Doran adventures. Well, I suppose if you got four lucky rabbit feet. That's right. Because if you're human and you have one lucky rabbit foot, that's only 25% is lucky for you and a whole lot less lucky for the rabbit. You know, it's got the makings of a pretty pretty intense adventure, too, because, right, well, can you imagine? It's like, all right, well, a rabbit's foot is lucky, but a fey rabbit, well, they got four of them foots. So I would imagine, you know, there'd be like a big a big poacher market for, you know, I, I don't want your rabbit's feet. I want some rabbit folk feet because they're fairy creatures and they're, they're inherently magical. So now you got these guys or gals working for these um, wizards or whatever have you, these magic-using folks that are sending them out to just capture them and chop their feet off and bring back a bunch of feet put on pendants to be sold on the black market or whatever have you as you know magical wards or, or the whatnot oh I, especially the giants because these come in medium size too yeah that's a big ass that's, foot that, that's a lot of luck that's a lot that, of luck in that foot i see dragons looking for giant sized rabbit feet yeah that I, I i think that has the makings for a pretty cool adventure um I digress on the feats. Um, uh, your speed is uh, 30 feet. Um, you got that hair trigger. I think that's kind of cool. Uh, you add your proficiency bonus to your init initiative rolls. You got the uh, Leporine. It sounds French. The Leporine senses. You have proficiency in the perception skill. And I, I see these rabbit folk always being like, you know, like, oh, yeah. like on the edge, like, whoa, what was that? You know, head in a swivel. Because um, everything's trying to either cut their feet off for lucky charms or eat them. Um, you have lucky footwork. When you fail a dexterity saving throw, you can use your reaction to roll a D4 and add it to the result, potentially turning the failure into the success. Um, and you get that hop. You can't have a rabbit anything without being able you to gotta, hop, you right? You got to do the hop. Um, once during each of your turns, when you walk at least five feet, you can hop rolling a D12 and moving that many feet in a direction of your choice. This extra distance doesn't cost movement, but you can hop only if your speed isn't zero. And that's where I was listening to our friends over at Bite Size Gaming. And um, after listening to them, it kind of made sense. Why a D12? Why not just make it either five or ten feet? Why add more numbers for you to keep track of you know yeah, it's, it's kind of odd you got it does the, it makes any, a lot of any, sense anywhere from yeah. one two you can add one two you know why not just give you a static number and let it go it's just it, like he said it just makes it to me and after he's after he explained it it just sounds a little bit more clunky because now it's more numbers you got to take up you know take care of why not just make it an easy five or an easy ten because it was an attempt to use a die that no one uses for anything unless you're yeah. a barbarian 
Well, the National Association of D12s has been lobbying pretty heavily for them to be used more in the gaming community, and that's probably where that came from. Did you hear that, Zach, and the Bite Size Gaming Crew? There's your answer. There you go. If if you guys don't listen to <laughs> Zach and, and, and the crew over at Bite Size Gaming, go check them out because they're one of our favorite podcasts. They are fun guys. And they're awesome guys. They They talk about a lot of cool shit. They do. You know, a, they a bring lot up of, a lot of Kickstarter stuff, but even stuff like this, you know, they 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 touched on it, and you know, I to me that part was the most important part because it made sense, you know. But they, like you said, they do talk about other things. They bring a bunch of different news and, and different things, and you know, they they're always doing their their virtual conventions and they they're you know the streamers as well. They got a, they're busy. Yeah, they got a lot of stuff going on, um, but we love them. We do check them out. Uh, good friends of the podcast. What the, what do you guys think? I like this class only because of the samurai rabbit, <laughs> um, but I like the fairy too. Um, yeah, and I would play a fey wanderer. Yeah, I could see that. You know, because that fits right in because you you it's all fey abilities that you get there. Yep. So as a ranger, I think that'd be pretty cool. I think um, I think all of these all of these different different folk have the potential for making a really really fun campaign but i would be i would be reluctant to integrate these kind of characters into an already existing campaign outside of a fey realm because i just think that it would it wouldn't fit thematically with a lot of the campaigns that that I do or we do at our gaming table, but they would fit very well with kind of like their own their own campaign. I I think on our table most of our players would try to eat these characters. Yeah, yeah, they're our players are weird. I mean, I what, love them. What's with the glittery chicken? I wonder if yeah. it tastes good with lemon and pepper. Someone someone's going to eat it. Uh, dip it in chocolate. Try to keep it as a pet. Um, do something. Yeah. Uh, it's just, I don't know. But you have to build. To use these, you'd have to build an adventure around them. Yeah. You know, for for this type class. And you'd really have to sell me as a DM on why this, not why you want to play it, because I don't really care if you want to play it. It speaks to you, right? It appeals to you. Awesome. But why would that character? Be outside of its fantastic realm and traveling with a bunch of humans, a tabaxi, yeah. and a dwarf. Yeah, why? Like what what is what is the reason? Um and then you know, I, because I imagine, you know, these gigantic creatures like humans and stuff, even a dwarf or a halfling, you know, for a uh for a fairy or something, it's it's like intimidating, right? If you're a rabbit folk or an owl, it's like seeing these guys eat roast chicken or turkey or anything meat. Anything meat, you'd be like, shit, I could be on the menu. Well, not yeah. only that, um, you know, your fey creatures, they're really, I won't say solid, but they're, you know, they're not solitary people by themselves, but kind of xenophobic. Well, yeah, they're, they're just yeah. xenophobic, yeah. Right, but, you know, they stay within their communities and it, yeah. it, that's all they want because they're, like you said, they're scared of the outside. They may not be scared. They're just afraid that 
like you said, they're going to be eaten. I'd or step down. I'd just like to be a rabbit folk and look at your first dwarf and going, holy crap, how can that thing move? It's as wide as it is tall. Why doesn't it just roll? It would make more sense. Yep. Now, now I know that when our our table gets together, <laughs> if someone's playing like rabbit folk or an owl folk, and they're like, you know, shit, we're out of rations, you know, <laughs> oh, they're gonna get eaten. Someone, yeah, there's 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 gonna be uh, it it's it's gonna get ugly, right? So someone's gonna be making sweet and sour rabbit out of the rabbit folk, Hoss and pepper. Yep. And and they're going to be basting the owl over an open fire, or or shoving fu- dressing. I up was going to say. I was yeah. going to say fighting over who gets to dress the turkey. I'll stuff it. But I think it'd be awesome fun to run an adventure with these kind of things, and and not just these four, but you know you can dig into the monster manual. Yeah, the sprites and, in there. Yeah. You have a couple other things in there that you could dig out and come up with a pretty good-sized party and well-balanced to defend the Fae against these lumbersome, uncaring, you know, destructive races like human and dwarf and elf. Elf And elf, would, you know, they're supposed to be, you know, in touch with nature, and they're as, as destructive as the others. I don't see you know if I was a fairy I wouldn't see much difference between an elf and and a bugbear because they're just as foul as far as I'm concerned and and being able to play a samurai bunny I mean come on right who doesn't want to do that right there's even a samurai there's even a samurai class now right you could be yes, a sam- there is. so why why not um you could be a samurai owl yeah, I'm instead of watch out, it's hoo chow. Yeah, I'm thrilled because I always wanted to do like a uh, anthropomorphic animal kung fu saga, and uh, <laughs> it's happening now. Well, you got I the get, tortle, got so the tortle, get, yep. yep, and I got the owl folk and the rabbit yep. folk. You got and, the aracroca, the kenku, yep. yep. Throw a tabaxi in there, yep. A leonin. I was about to say that yep. one too. Yep. I need a monkey. Wizards of the coast. <laughs> I need I need a mu- no kung fu saga. This, this with- coming from a guy who keeps trying to convince me to let him bring a capuchin monkey to our week long get. I mean I don't have one. No, but, but he's trying. I think we should have one as a mascot. So we just gave him sin for the time being. So he can hit the gong for you. So he can hit the gong. There you go. Trained monkey hitting the gong at four in the morning when everyone's passed out. The early bird gets the worm. So doesn't the owl. Not if the burn, not if the worm isn't up yet. <laughs> and that's our look at the Unearthed Arcana Folk of the Feywild. See you next week in the dojo. That's going to conclude this episode. Thanks for tuning in and listening. Please subscribe to the podcast for more great content. If you'd like to hear a particular topic, you can reach us out on Facebook at the Dungeon Masters Dojo. Or you can drop us an email at the Dungeon Masters Dojo at gmail.com. Thank you and have a good day.